it's time for school days. Hope for moms and dads of school-aged kids. I tell parents, you're like a training wheel on a bike. Your job isn't to make the bike move. Your job is to keep the bike upright. Those of us who are the true educators, we really want to be given the opportunity to educate the whole child. We can get free college degrees based on all of the opportunities that are out here and available to our students. Oftentimes, as parents, I think we want to protect our kids, but I think one of the greatest gifts we can give them is allowing them to experience adversity. Yeah. Here's your host, Danita Bailey. Well, good evening and welcome to School Days Help for Moms and Dads of School Age Kids. I'm Danita Bailey. And I'm Shelly Scraver. And today we're talking about learning disabilities and special needs in a virtual learning world. My guest host today is Shelly Scraver, who's a friend and a mom of children who have both special needs and learning disabilities. So Shelly, tell us a little bit about your family. Thank you, Danita. Um, I have four kids, and I have a, a nine-year-old with uh, ADHD. She uh, goes to a private school for the smaller class and um, the traditional learning setting. I have an 11-year-old. He has a low function in autism. Um, he is nonverbal, talks with a communication device very well, carries an iPad with him. Um, he's at our Midlothian um, ISD, a great public school, where he is doing special needs classes that do life skills and work on his academics. I'm very happy to be there. Um, then I have a 12-year-old. She has uh, different learning processing uh, disorders and um, inattentive ADD. And so she's in uh, public school also. She's in regular classes, but she does have accommodations. And then I have a 14-year-old who is in public school, and he's a typical learner. <laughs> so a little backstory here as to how I kicked out David and brought Shelly in <laughs> is um, I was doing a little research uh, for the topic. And, you know, as most of our listeners know, um, I have a child with autism as well as one who has um, um, anxiety and depression. And so we have services and accommodations for our kids um, at school. But um, I have several friends who have um same situation um, or a little bit different. And so I asked her, I said, are there any questions you would have for our experts? And she like rolled out a scroll of <laughs> of questions for me. And I thought, okay, well, I think she has a perspective that would be really helpful for our show. And so do you just want to co-host? And so thankfully you said yes to that. I do appreciate your being here because you do have a great perspective. And we always want parents that have different backgrounds and experiences to be um, represented. So um, but one of the things you said to me when we were preparing for the show is you said that you've tried, uh, you've tried it all. I have. And I think that's what makes my perspective uh, unique is we've tried the private therapies. We've tried the centers. Um, we've, we've tried a, a gamut of, of things. And uh, for th three of our kids, we've come to the conclusion that public school has been their, their best bet. Um, and we'll continue to try different therapies, but right now um, we're, we love our public school and they've really helped us with a team of professionals. Yeah. So how has virtual learning been going for you? Uh, it was a struggle. It was a struggle uh, having a, a child with autism. Um, he, very sweet, but he, he's very curious and uh, has to be watched constantly. So that was um, a struggle to just have so much attention on one child when three other kids needed me to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, and another thing that you and I were chatting about when we were prepping for the show is that it's just difficult to 
figure out what is best for your family under these circumstances where we're in the middle of a pandemic with a very communicable disease. Um, because sometimes health issues go hand in hand with kids with special needs. And so uh, while learning online may not be working for them, um, you you have the concern about putting them in person uh, because of the, the the fear of coronavirus. So you you just put your kids in school. They just started in person, right? Uh, last week was their first full week of in person school, and uh, right now it's it's going well. Uh, we're holding our breath that we won't be quarantined, but um, if that happens, we'll. we'll, we'll figured out. Yeah. Yeah. Having had a little bit of experience with it in the spring, you kind of already know what to expect if you have to be quarantined. Uh, But that doesn't necessarily make it any easier. Yeah. No, no, it doesn't. Okay. Well, again, thank you so much for joining us. We have a bunch of really great women that are going to give us some great advice and great information about learning disabilities in a special, in a a virtual learning world, learning disabilities, as well as special needs in a learning uh, virtual learning world. But before we go any further, let me just say it does take a village. If you hear a great parenting tip or nugget of advice, share it with your parent friends. Facebook it, Instagram it, link it, uh, tweet it, link it in and add the hashtag school days show and hashtag I am school days. And also we want you to be a part of the show. So if you have any questions or comments, you can give us a call and talk directly to our experts at 214-444-5575. Or if you're live with us on Facebook, you can drop us a question there and we will do our very best to get to you as soon as we can. So let's go ahead and just jump right in. I would like for our guests to introduce themselves this time. So if you could tell me your name, uh, your school, your position, how many years you've been in um, the field that you're in and uh, what what it is that you do. So let's start with uh, Melly. I'm Melly Joyner and I am the curriculum director and elementary school advocate at the Key School of Fort Worth. I have been in education for 30 years, and the last 20 or so have been working directly uh, in programs to support students with learning differences. Excellent. Um, Leslie. Hello, my name is Leslie Vasquez, and I am the director of Key School in Fort Worth. Um, I've been in education for a little over 15 years. I'm starting my fifth year as the director here at Key School, and Key School is a small private school that serves students um, grades K through 12 um, who have learning differences. Excellent. And um, and Therese? Hi, it's good to be here. My name is Antrice Newsom. I am a special education curriculum coordinator for Arlington ISD. I am starting my 33rd year in working with students with disabilities. Excellent. And Sherry. Hello, I'm Sherry Hall. I'm with Arlington ISD as well in the special ed department. I'm an instructional specialist, and this is uh, the beginning of my 21st year, so 20 years. All right. So we have a wealth of knowledge and experience here with us today. So I'm so excited that you guys were able to join us. So thank you so much for being here. Well, let's go ahead and just jump right in. Were schools able to continue to provide services and accommodations when schools closed in the spring? 
I guess I can start there. <laughs> I, um, I believe that schools did the best that they could, um, given the situation. I think that um, education as a whole was very quickly forced into a situation that maybe they weren't necessarily prepared for. Um, and I think because of that, it did pose some challenges for students who um, were receiving or needed to receive those services, whether it be accommodations or modifications. Um, but I, like I said, I do feel like schools did the very best that they could, but I think it also gave them an opportunity to kind of come back to the drawing board over the summer and, you know, look at and to see what needed, um, what needs improvements. And, and so hopefully um, what parents are seeing in the fall looks a little bit differently than what they, what they saw in the spring. Right. And, and then Teresa, this, um, this posed a, a kind of a complicated issue for uh, schools because with the IEP, at least, they are legally bound to provide the services that are listed for your child. So what were kind of some of the challenges in that? You're on mute. As you can expect, um, there are so many um, IEP goals and objectives that are hands-on. I mean, that's exactly what we want is for students to work um, hand-in-hand. I mean, in, in provide, we provide hands-on activity. So um, that in and of itself presented itself with a challenge. And so you um, go to the drawing board and you sit and you try to figure out what could or how could that hands-on activity um, be captured for the most part. Mm -hmm. And what of those goals and objectives that we can um, implement and then what ones might need to be adjusted um, until we come back face-to-face. Yeah. And what were some of the challenges that you guys did face with having to figure out how to how to do what you said you were going to do, <laughs> but you, now you now you really can't necessarily do what you said you were going to do? <laughs> yeah, and I, I would say um, some of that might include um, speech therapy services, um, occupational therapy, um, physical therapy, adaptive physical education. Those are some of those goals and objectives that really do require a lot of hands-on um, and so you, um, what we did was try to um, put together what may have been considered to be teletherapy. What does that look like? Um, individual, um, individualized therapy, either via Zoom or making appointments for students to perhaps come in um, and, and create a self-environment, a safe environment for that to happen. There were some opportunities to where um, parents were able to um, take videos of some things that, so if we had um, adaptive physical education goals um, and it may have been catching, well, you know, unfortunately, but fortunately, since the pandemic, we've had a lot more um, families that were at home. And so catching a ball or bouncing Mm -hmm. a ball, even though somebody may have thought that that might not have been significant, it could have been a student's goal. Mm -hmm. And so can we really capture that video and and send it in so we can make a determination as to whether or not the student is making any progress? Yeah. So that's Yeah. Um, What were some, gosh, so, so Melly, I'll ask you some of the challenges i mean and we all experience this and we all are still experiencing this now we're having to be tech support for our kids all day long so how was that and and having to you know kind of rely on um especially for the younger kids that are having to do this i don't know does what does your school start at a certain age do you start at k k 
kindergarten? We we start in kindergarten. Okay. So yeah. And so we Good. Yeah. So we were we were supporting all the way K all the way through twelve. And for us it was kind of a unique challenge because it was a department of two. It was me and our technology specialist. And so we were we were doing it all. Um, but I think that uh, so many schools had already moved towards integrating technology into so much of what they do in the classroom and using some of those tools. So most students had at least a foundational piece of how to access the camera on their computer or how to do some of these kinds of things. The, cha- the big challenge I think for us was um, helping to support the parents who were trying to support their students because, you know, often our kids would start to get frustrated and then that was frustrating for the parents. And so we did as much giving of grace and helping the parents through it as we did for our students. Um, You know, and like, uh, and she said about the, you know, so much of what we do is hands-on. And so finding ways to make what we were doing interactive so that while we weren't sitting across the table from them, the students still felt like we were sitting across the table from them mm-hmm. and helping our teachers to be able to really um, make those connections through the camera, so to speak, with, with the students, but also with the families, because we understood that the families became a, an even greater piece of this team than they had always been. And so finding ways to support the the families and bring them into the learning so that they could be super supportive of their students uh, was really what helped us more than anything. And I've got to say, um, one of the benefits of this craziness that we're experiencing right now is I get my son's services now. I have a better understanding of what it is that he's receiving and why he needs what he needs and how I can support him. You know, eventually we are going to go back to school in person, probably not till next year for our family, but you know, I can better support him um, when he's home now because, you know, I've kind of become an expert in him (laughs) in ways that I wasn't before. That's such an amazing point because I would say that that's been a little bit of a challenge on its own as well is, for many parents, um, this was the first time that they were really getting to see their child's learning difference in real time. And so I think where that's been a challenge, it's also been a little bit of a blessing because it's kind of um, pushed or encouraged those parents to reach out and really kind of understand what kind of learner their student is and what is a necessary accommodation that needs to happen so that they can be successful. So that's been a challenge, but it's also been a blessing. Yeah. I would agree with that. I think that partnership has always been so important. And this has just highlighted it in another way. You know, parents really know their, their children, our students better than anyone else. And so it's been an opportunity for kind of a deeper partnership at times between the parents and the teachers. Yeah. You know, I think one of the things is that we've talked for a long time about um, the need for some changes in education right? And the reform movement has been going on for 50 years. And all of a sudden, since March, we were kind of all forced to really, really rethink what it could look like for students and and really think, I hate the term outside the box, but 
to really think differently about how we can really make a difference to, to help our students adapt to change, handle adversity, and deal with, with things that aren't their norm. And I think that became a really important piece of, of the support that we offered and really helped leaders at, at the district level, even at the state and in the private sector, really think about what school can look like mm. moving forward and creating ways and creative ways to support that maybe we couldn't consider because of the constraints of traditional education mm. in the past. Yeah. And I, yeah, I, I, uh wholeheartedly agree and I hope that we will once we return to quote normal that we take some of what we've um, incorporated into learning back with us and we don't go back to normal you know because there have been definitely some good things again you know I, I call myself a pretty involved parent but ha you know after this I've just you know we we were incorporating PE into um, every day in the spring we were doing that and you know I just learned I have a couple of people that need to toughen up like <laughs> I didn't realize because I just never had that opportunity it's like oh we need to teach you some sportsmanship and we need to teach you you know just some social emotional learning things that, um, you know, we're all getting good lessons in. So yeah, there's definitely some great, great things we can bring forward with us. Um, I do want to know for kids that have some severe deficits, um, is it realistic for them to learn virtually? Can I, can I jump in here on this yeah, one? Anybody? I, you know, I think it is absolutely possible for our learners, especially even students with severe deficits to learn virtually, but there are some definite things that have to be in place. One of the things is they need that synchronous time. They need to be live with an instructor so that they're getting that immediate feedback and, you know, redirection and those pieces. And, um, you know, you can't get that necessarily in a recorded lesson. It's super important that when when they are alive, that direct instruction is being recorded so that they can revisit that on their own time and and so on. One of the other really great things about the virtual learning is the ability to chunk. And we know that chunking learning is super important for a lot of students. I have no with, idea what that means. So chunking is just breaking lessons and breaking learning into small manageable pieces. Okay. So instead of sitting through a 45 minute lecture, which you know we know is hard for any of us, right? It's broken down into, okay, I'm gonna talk to you about something or we're gonna have a dialogue for five or 10 minutes and then you're gonna do something with that. And then later we'll come back and we'll do the next little piece. It's kind of, think of it as like um, doing chapters out of a book, mm -hmm. right? Instead of trying to sit and read the whole Harry Potter book in one sitting, you're going to chunk it up and read it in chapters. And you can do that with virtual learning, sometimes easier than you can in a traditional setting, mm. because you can actually you know, turn it off and go do something else and then come back. So there are definitely some pieces of virtual learning that are really good for our students with significant differences, as long as attention is paid to the detail and the specific needs of those learners. Is it necessary? Oh, sorry. No, that's okay. That's what I was going to say. I was going to agree with you, Melly, and say I think it is definitely realistic that learning can continue 
if those those tools and structures are put into place. But I think it's important to remember that learning in a home environment is going to look different than learning in a school setting environment. And so I think, you know, just keep that in mind and have grace. You know, I, I hear parents all the time saying, I've been kind of pushed into be the teacher or pushed into be the assistant teacher. And so it's a hard job and you have to understand, you know, us educators, we've gone through specialized training for that. So, you know, just have an understanding that it's going to look a little different. Um, The reason why I thought of this question is because I was watching a a news report with a mom who was interviewed, who has a child with severe deficits and she has to sit there with him the entire day. And he, it appeared he was in a, um, in a, a typical learning environment. And so they were doing, and maybe he wasn't, maybe he was just with, you know, kids with different, um, all different disabilities or whatever. Um, but they, you know, they were doing um, a scavenger hunt. So they basically had to go do the, he had cerebral palsy. So they had to go do the scavenger hunt for him or there were different things that they were just basically having to do for him. And they were saying that this isn't possible. So under those circumstances, does uh, maybe a child need to not be in a uh, typical class and, or, you know, just kind of walk me through that a little. I think that, um, some of that goes back to communication and what those IEP goals and objectives are. What exactly is it that we are trying to do? You have um, the opportunity to ensure that students are included among other students. So you may not necessarily be looking for the success of the activity, if you will, as much as the response that we might get from the student while the activity is going on. Um, You know, you don't want to, you know, we call talk a lot about the least dangerous assumption, right? So we don't necessarily want to assume that the student isn't capturing something from the activity and being a part of their peer group. So again, that communication with if mom or dad can only get on for a brief amount of time, then let's take and think about exactly what it is or what activity that the student can participate in as opposed to maybe thinking that it has to be for an entire 45 minutes. So when you're talking about that grace, that includes grace on behalf of the family and how much can I do to ensure that we're establishing a routine. So if that youngster knows that every day I get to get on and see my peer group that I'm used to seeing at school, then the activity that's going on around me. And even if I'm watching mom or brother or sister run around and do this scavenger hunt, I mean, there's something that is going on in the midst and I'm included just like I would be if I were face to face. And Therese, I love that phrase. I get to get on. Mm -hmm. I think that sometimes we forget that that is something that so many of our students look forward to. And they were excited to be back in in the virtual setting, just to see the faces of the of the people that they needed to see every day. And so, you know, encouraging them to look at that, I get to, to be in class with my peers and I get to see them bring all of the scavenger hunt items and, and really that I get to is so important. You said something so interesting, Entries, that um, I, I told you guys beforehand that I posted <laughs> something. Um, I'm in a Facebook group called um, Parent Parents um, Parenting Kids with Anxiety, and I said I need a group that is parents with anxiety, parenting kids with anxiety, doing virtual learning. And so one of the things that 
somebody posted was that we've really got to give ourselves a break and not be so um, concerned about outcome the way we are under normal circumstances. And that is, it's hard to hear because, you know, I'm a, you know, I'm a, the kind of personality where I'm just like, but we got to do the things and we've got the schedule and we've got the, you know, so it's kind of harder for me to be flexible. Um, But that's just an event. It's a very important thing to remember that, you know, again, we are under strange circumstances and our, you know, our kids are going to catch up. Um, And that's kind of what you guys as professionals, that's, that's your whole job is to fill in any deficits and, and help kids catch up. So we've got to, remember that they will be okay. Yeah. I think too, Danita, that that break that we need to give ourselves is not just a metaphor, right? Sometimes it's a literal break when we, we need to stop and breathe and play with our kids or whatever it is we need to do so that we're ready to come back. Yeah. Supporting our kids is, you know, I think about um, when we used to fly, on airplanes, <laughs> we used to travel, and they always tell you that if the oxygen mask drops out of the ceiling, to put yours on first, so that you can support those around you. And that's something I always keep in mind during a challenging time. Yeah. We have to take care of ourselves so we can keep taking care of our families yeah. and our, you know, our students. Yeah, for sure. Shelley, that, that that's very very true. I would say too at Key School we have student advocates, and so. You know, there's moments in the day where uh, students may feel frustrated or they may start feeling the anxieties of their learning differences. And so sometimes it takes just a student advocate to kind of pull them out and talk to them and help them get self-regulated again to where they can get back in and kind of let that barrier down. And I would say that's that's true for educators and that's true for parents now that are home serving as educators. So, you know, exactly like uh, Ms. Hall said, take that moment. It's okay. Have grace on yourself. Uh, Self-regulate. Find time in your day where you can just take five or 10 minutes and breathe or walk the dog or whatever it takes. Get in the shower. That's it. (laughs) You will not be alone. That's so good. Uh, My next one, um, we kind of touched on this, but uh, can y'all maybe elaborate on uh, different strategies and ideas for learning in the home? I know with four kids, it's just crazy in my house. But is what what would you give as advice for um, some some tips for structure and just making it more conducive of an environment so that they're actually getting the most out of virtual learning? Well, I would say definitely um, have a space in the house that is their area. I would say have a, a little learning box. If you don't have that space that you can kind of, that can be transportable, whether it be the the kitchen table or a desk that you have, you know, reserved in the house for them. Um, I would say, make sure that they have the proper technology, whether it's a, you know, if they need a standard keyboard or do they need a mouse or do they need um, an iPad that's more of a touch screen. Um, Try to think ahead as, as often as you can where technology issues may be a factor. And so working those out prior if you can. Um, and then have a plan B for when that technology doesn't work because we all know that's, that's probably going to hit at some point or another. And then um, I think visual aids are really good. Schedules, um, visual aids, clocks, um, 
color code. We do a lot of color coding here at Keyscore. It, it helps with those executive functions. So those are a few ways that I can think of. One of the other things is um, that we encourage, especially families that have more than one learner that they're trying to, to juggle schedules on is to have set up a routine for how do you ask for help? Because if, if mom's in the middle of a Zoom with one kiddo and somebody else is having technology issues, plan out and, and think about what does that look like? How do I need to ask for help? And then you can use visual cues for those kinds of things. And then the other piece of it is communicate, communicate, communicate. Communicate with the teachers, communicate with all of the, the support uh, personnel that, that you rely on and you know, let them know. You know, I have four learners in my in my household, and so you know, I'm I'm stretched pretty thin here. You know, one of yeah. me, four of my kids, and and you know, for the most part, people are understanding and they want to help. And so it may be that a schedule is adjusted a little bit, or you know, it's understood that you know what, my kid may get on into class ten minutes late, and guess what? That's okay. We're going to make allowances for those kinds of things because. The truth is, as long as, as that line of communication stays open, you know, we can help and, and we want to help. I appreciate you saying that. Um, it, it, I have been really communicating with my uh, kids' teachers and they've been so understanding. If we had to maybe skip a class because I need to be, you know, sitting down next to somebody else's Zoom call at the same time. Um, then they give me the work, um, you know, in an email or something like that. So I appreciate you saying, yeah, just communicate. They understand. They've been so uh, graceful in this time. I, I think just to reiterate the, the conversation um, that Melly brought up about the, the calendar and the schedule, the visual schedule. I mean, mm -hmm. every, every child's name and color coding or magnets and whose turn it is, um, who's, who's on break now and who's actually on in class now and who gets mom's help now. And so you really are working a system um, and those magnets, any child can go up to and pretty much look to see, okay, I know where I'm supposed to be now. I'm on break now, I'm on Zoom now, um, second child is with mom now. And so it really, and practice that routine, practice it before you're actually in it um, on a daily basis. The cool thing is on that is that when you're doing a lot of those, you're actually building a lot of those executive function skills and time management and all of those success and study skills. And they don't even know that's what they're doing, but they're, they're getting them and they're getting that reinforcement. And, and then when they do return to a more traditional setting or whatever, those pieces are then ingrained for them and they can, they can transfer that into other settings. And I was thinking when you yeah. were talking, um, Shelly, I think you said you had four kids and I do too. Uh, three of them are grown now, or at least I think they are. Um, <laughs> you know, chronologically, they are. Um, and they all four needed something different when they were in school. So one might need a quiet place to sit and another one might need a place where they can work while they're jumping around or where they're close to you. So there's not any one right way to set up it's whatever your kids need. So I think that's important to add yeah. to what everybody else said too. Such good I would, answers. Shelly, I would, the other thing I might add is, um, you know, I think oftentimes parents are home with their kids. And so they're, they're watching or they're listening from, you know, the next room over, but go one step 
further than that. Take it one step and, and ask your kid, how was their day? What, what worked and what didn't work? And so by doing that, you can kind of figure out what is frustrating them or where are they struggling? And, you know, that's when you can reach out to the teachers and find the supports for that, or even just that might help your scheduling, you know, like, Hey, I know he's really struggling during this math time. So I've got 10 minutes during this time. Maybe I can sit with him during that. That's so important that you said that because yeah, we get in these like, okay, it has to be done like this. And we forget to say, wait a minute, what's, what's working for you? This is all Mm -hmm. new. You know, tell me if if something is, you know, if there's anything that we can do to to change it up. So that's a really good point. All of those are really great points. And I'm sorry. One other thing I wanted to add is, um, you know, sometimes you get a lot of assignments and, and you really are trying to get those assignments done because it's the task that the teacher has given you. But if you can even gather what is it that is expected to be learned, because sometimes you might be able to present that information in a different way instead of just the way that maybe the teacher is asking for the task to be completed. Does that make sense? So much sense. I'm 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 like glowing. that. <laughs> Because you guys are giving us options. Even just today, um, I had a conversation on my way over to the studio today with uh, my son's AP, uh, assistant principal. He has ADHD, right? And um, anxiety. So online learning has been very difficult for us. And in particular, he's struggling because he, when the other kids are told to go and do in-class work, he's trying to download stuff, trying to watch videos, trying to do to the pe- point point to, to the um, extreme that we found that he had 29 assignments due last week because he had not been doing anything. So um, I reached out to the AP and he I suggested, can he watch the videos of the teachers after they happen? That way I can project the videos onto the screen he's not holding a tablet I take the tablet I project it onto the screen he watches it and then he can do the assignments later and he was like if if he turns them in the same day then that'll work and I was like that will be very helpful because it's just been a constant fight every day to get him to stay on task. So that was just some seriously out of the box thinking that, you know, some I'm thankful that they were flexible enough to let us do something like that. But um, yeah, just encouraging parents just to, to reach out to the schools and to reach out to your kid's school and say, okay, this isn't working. Do you have any suggestions? Can we do something a little bit differently than what everybody else is doing? Yeah, I think um, the other thing that we have, you know, we talked about giving ourselves grace and giving teachers grace and giving parents grace, but we need to also remember to give our students grace because learning at home, that's not where that's supposed to happen in their minds, <laughs> right. right? That's a school thing. When I'm home, I'm supposed to be able to video game and go out in the backyard and I'm supposed to be hanging out and playing and doing all the fun stuff. And so it's a big mind shift for our students too, to change the, the home to be a learning environment. And so that's where, you know, circling back to having those routines and the schedule and the expectations and talking about the expectations and what that can look like, but involving the student as much as possible and where appropriate, you know, of course that's gonna look different for a five-year-old versus a senior in high school versus, you know, and then depending on where that that child falls as far as 
um, responsibility and maturity and, and all of those things. But, you know, we have to give our students grace too, because this isn't their norm either. Right. Yeah. I had a, one of these children, I won't name which one was making a fried egg in the middle of his class. <laughs> I was like, oh, we need to come up with a, some, some virtual learning expectations <laughs> that don't include making a meal in front. And he, he legit had the, the tablet set up next to the stove. So they're watching him make an egg. <laughs> there's some some measurement involved in that yes (laughs) you know I feel confident that we could find teaks to go along with that you know (laughs) oh okay um what assistive apps because I've actually found a few because my concern for this my child that has ADHD was that he was staring at a screen all day and that's just not good for anybody but I've found a few so what assistive apps and tools do you recommend that can be useful at home for kids that have special needs and learning uh, differences okay I'll take it um, so some of the ones that that we commonly use here at key school um, and Melanie kind of alluded to this earlier, her and Cassie Holler, that is our IT specialist, have done a lot of time just researching different apps out there that are great for students with learning differences. And so a few that we commonly use are the text-to-speech, um, speech-to-text. There's different Chrome extensions for students that may or may not be on that Google suite. Um, learning Ally or other audiobook programs are really beneficial. Um, I would say there's the Don Johnson extensions of Snap and Read and uh, CoWriter. And so I'm happy to kind of compile that list and share that with you. Yes, yes, please. I'll put that on our website. And are these free or is this something that you have to purchase? Are most of them free? Some of them are free and some of them um, are small purchase. Um, One of the things that we hear from parents, Leslie mentioned Learning Ally which is um, available for students with reading dis- uh, disabilities. It used to be a million years ago, it was reading for the blind and dyslexic. And then through a process of, of uh, governmental grants, they transitioned to be learning ally. And so they have thousands and thousands of books, including some textbooks that are available in audiobook format. And so we, but we do get some resistance sometimes from parents about, no, they need to be reading. Mm. They need to be reading those books. But what we're seeing is more and more research is coming out that shows that listening to audiobooks, especially coupled with following the print, following along with the print, activates the exact same areas of the brain as reading, as eye reading. So reading it in the traditional sense. And so, you know, especially for a student who struggles with reading or has attention issues using those audiobooks is a huge help um, in acquiring information. Okay. Um, somebody on Facebook asked what TEKS are. TEKS are the Texas standards. So it, it stands for Texas Essential Knowledge and Skills. So those are the learning standards that are the minimum standards for learners in Texas. Um, another question also I'm hoping, um, Miranda, I'm hoping I'm understanding what you're saying. She said, how important is it for SPED students to meet IEP goals to a school like Key School? I think she's saying that because you guys don't specifically have like IEPs and 504s. Is that correct? 
Yes. So anytime we have a student that comes to us at Key School, we do a review of, of any diagnostic testing that's been done. And what we have in place are called learning profiles. So it's not quite as formal as an IEP or even a 504 IAP, um, but it, it suits the same purpose. So we still set those learning goals. We still have those accommodations that are in place and we measure those on a, on a really regular basis. Because we're very small, our typical classroom is only about eight to 10 students at most, that's our capacity. So it's, it's a little bit, I don't wanna say easier, simpler for us to monitor those goals and adjust as we go rather than just through the traditional yearly ARD meeting to review and, and look at those goals. But we do, even at Key School, we do set those goals and we do base those on um, all of the educational information that the parents provide for us. Gotcha. Um, I'm curious, how do parents strike a balance of assisting your student and also letting them have autonomy? Because I mean, I have witnessed some interesting parental involvement in classes. And I feel like it's there's a possibility that we could be over, overstepping our boundaries and to the detriment of our kids. So what can we do to strike that balance? That's a great question. I think, yeah, that's a great I think question. it goes back to communication again. Mm-hmm. So, so is this something that you're looking just to see what they know right now and I need to, you know, pull back or should I be supporting this and hands-on? And it just sort of depends. We kind of say it's special ed. Sometimes everything is, it depends because it's so individualized. So I think there's a time for both types of support and just that communication and knowing when to step in and when to step back. Yeah, I I would agree with that. I would say, um, let the teacher be the instructor and you are there to be um, a support system and a facilitator. Um, But at the the same time, and we alluded to this earlier, understand how your child learns. And so um, sometimes that just leads to really great conversations with those teachers, you know, give give the teacher an opportunity to maybe explain why they're doing it that way. Um, Or, you know, how does my child learn? What, What accommodations? They're really not understanding this. So what accommodations should I be offering at home that that you've seen in the classroom prior to this that you think will work for them. But be the support system, be the facilitator to make sure that they're kind of staying on track at home, but but let the teacher be the teacher in that situation. I think the other piece of that also falls into, as parents, one of the hardest things that we do is let our children fail. Mm. And understanding that failure and adversity is a part of the success journey. And so if we're constantly jumping in and doing for what we're teaching our kids is that they can't, instead of giving them the ownership in their own process and, and asking those questions and, okay, we didn't do what we wanted to here, we didn't meet our goal or whatever, and then, um, and moving forward. And so, um, you know, encouraging parents that it's okay if you're, if your child isn't hundred percent successful. Because the other piece of that is, if you're doing all of the work, then your teacher doesn't, the child's teacher doesn't know where to support that student. If they're turning in homework that you've done for them, and they get them all right, 
That teacher doesn't know where the reteach needs to happen so that they can truly have mastery of whatever knowledge that, that child is trying to give. And the other piece of it is we want our students to have ownership in their learning, right? They need to own that and take personal accountability for that. And if mom or dad are always stepping in and taking over, that ownership just isn't there. Yeah. I've got a t-shirt on today. My school days t-shirt is a quote from a former guest that says, you're like the the training wheels on a bike. Your job isn't to keep the bike up. Wait, your job isn't to make the bike go, I think, but your job is to keep the bike upright or something like that. (laughs) Um, I would say one of the biggest challenges for parents is to that wait time. A teacher can give all the wait time in the world and the parent is sitting and thinking, come on, come on. I know you know this and you're pushing. Um, so just just to understand where the teacher is coming from on that wait time, which gives the student an opportunity um, to just know that um, this is a safe zone and my response can be accepted, whether it's right or wrong. And then we're going to go from there. Yeah. Um. I love that you said it's important that they um, learn how to fail. We actually did an episode last year about teaching your child to fail well. So I definitely recommend going back and um, listening to that one. Shelley? Um, My next one, uh, many uh, special needs students need constant redirection with virtual learning. I know my son with autism, he was constantly... Uh, touching the screen, touching the Zoom. I just, uh, it, it was, it was very frustrating. <laughs> so uh, what advice do you um, give to parents and students that are just fidgety and anxious? And when does it, if it crosses over to misbehavior, do you recommend timeout, uh, some kind of discipline on the Zoom call? What, what do you think about that? Well, I, 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 I you want to go ahead, Leslie? No, go ahead. And it's okay. um, I think it's I think it's difficult for all of us that that are on Zoom and not fidgety. Um, it, it's it's a difficult thing sometimes to sit and attend to. Um, I think practicing and um, that social story and this is um, um, in class behavior. This is on Zoom behavior. Um, sometimes when it you you want to get to the function of the behavior. So really. Why is it that he's wanting to touch the screen or get up? I mean, is it really, can I stand up? Can I raise the the level of the iPad or the computer to where I am standing up? Um, Can I put something on the bottom of the chair, which is called bands? Sometimes occupational therapists may have some of those bands. And that way I can use my feet to fidget um, for the most part. um, And that may take away some of the fidgeting via the hand. Is it a sensory piece where I really see all these people on the screen and I want to kind of touch and see and if can I move them? And so just really trying to get to the function of what that behavior is will help to um, to learn how to um, redirect it. Yeah, that, that's good. I, I sometimes forget that as a mom. I'm just like, no, just do this. But um, And then also touching to the social stories. Uh, I know that we forget how useful those are. Social stories are like uh, stories where, uh, just how would you describe social stories? You'd probably describe it better than, that, than me. So a social story is really just um, a play out of what the activity is. And it provides you some or the students some instruction on this is what is going to happen and this is how we respond um, and really just almost enacting in a visual sense 
what it is going to look like so the student can anticipate when this occurs, I know this is what I'm doing or this is what I should be doing. And you can oftentimes in the midst of the behavior even report, we point back to that social story and say, remember, this is how we sit um, during a Zoom class and this is how we keep our hands together. I mean, so it really just kind of paints a visual picture of what it is that we want the behavior to look like. Um, gosh, there's so much here. <laughs> there's so much to talk about. You guys are great. We have another question online and this kind of, um, segues into, um, kind of the next section we want to get into. So what, what suggestions does Ray is asking? What suggestions does anyone have regarding a student in a new school with a new school district where the teachers, the, the teacher does not know the student on any other level other than their IEP and virtually. You know, that relationship is so important and building that relationship with your students. And it is a little bit of a different kind of challenge in this setting. But I think teachers are doing a really good job at attending to that, the importance of that. And, ho and hopefully they are intentionally getting to know that student in, in this setting and building that relationship. Yeah, I would say that um, Key School this year started a, a program called Key Core Online. And it's basically what it is that we do at Key School. We have an online program because we saw a need um, to be able to you know, offer synchronous learning to students with learning differences. And so um, Danita, to answer Desiree's question, uh, we had a mom that was concerned about that at the beginning of our program. And so she did something really cute. She had her son create a little video for the teacher. And um, it was a little YouTube video and they sent it out and it just explained who he was, what he, did, what he liked to do for fun. Um, you know, it, it took away that just a name and just a diagnosis, if you will. And so, you know, really, I know Melly said she hates the word thinking outside the box, but really thinking outside the box, you know, finding ways, even if it is a simple phone call to call that teacher and say, hey, let me tell you about my son or my daughter. Let me tell you all the great things that they're really good at. Let me tell you what they enjoy to do on the side, because like Sherry said, that relationship piece, it is the key. It is absolutely the key to success. And it's funny because Leslie, that's exactly who I went to when this question came up was that sweet little video that we got. And, you know, and what was neat about that video was that it was from the child's perspective. Mm. You know, it was the child telling what was important to him. It wasn't necessarily just the parent saying, this is what I want you to know about my student. It was the student saying, this is what's important to me. And I think that sometimes we forget to give students, our, our own children, that voice. And so asking your, your students, um, what is it that you would want your teacher to know about you? What's your favorite thing about yourself? And then sharing those and then in, in any way, whether it's a video, and it doesn't have to be a video, like let's just say it could be a phone call or an email or, or any of those things. But I think it's just, you know, that, like Sherry said, it's all about the relationship because once those students know that somebody cares about them, then we're good. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. So I think I mentioned earlier, I don't know if this was on air or off air, but, um, the, you know, I just finished an, I, uh, an ARD 
And um, this is kind of our season because we're, we're back in school and we're trying to figure out what we're doing here. So um, in a virtual learning environment, and we mentioned earlier that, you know, when you have an IEP that's legally binding and then they have to, you know, schools have to provide what they've said that they were going to provide. So I guess a twofold question is maybe it shouldn't be a twofold question. Okay, I guess I'll just ask the one question. Sorry. <laughs> I got too much going on in my head. So what steps should parents take if their school isn't providing the services that they're required to provide that have been laid out in the child's plan? So you definitely want to track um, the, the IEP and what you feel like hasn't necessarily been provided. You can always call um, an IEP meeting to talk about what the plan will be to ensure that there's implementation of that IEP or if it um, needs to be adjusted in any manner at all. But you definitely want to address the, the IEP goal and objective that you feel like may not necessarily be, be being met. I mean, um, it, it, it is legally binding. And so we know that there's a lot of grace being shown, but we want to make sure, and the school district as well, wants to ensure that they're meeting the students. I mean, they pretty much in agreement with the family said, this is important. This is our goal for the year. So just as um, you know, the family wants to ensure that it's being implemented, so doesn't the school district. Mm -hmm. And if it is um, to where that data is, that is being collected at home, um, it's pretty obvious that there's been um, little implementation of that particular goal and objective you want to call an IEP meeting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It always goes back to the communication, you know, and, and communicating first with, you know, the providers of, you know, okay, you know, what's missing? How is it, how are we going to work on this? How can I support you in, in addressing these things? And, and then following those steps, you know, the other thing that is a requirement, and we never want to see it get to this. Um, I was in a, in one of the large districts in the Metroplex for many years as a district administrator. And, you know, you never want to see it get at the district level or heaven forbid go above that, right? But every district is required to have that grievance process. And so if something is not being met and you're not getting a response from the people that need to be taken care of it in the rare occasion that that happens, your district has to have those processes in place for you to have kind of that hierarchy to take that through. And that's going to vary from school, well, district to district, state to state, but um, you should have been provided with that information um, at each of your ARD meetings. You, you get those procedural safeguards and, um, the handbook of what that what that grievance procedure would be, but but first and foremost, I mean, I always say talk to the teachers first. You know, talk to the teachers first and talk to those providers first because they are the ones that can make the difference before anybody else can. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, a question from online here: Can you call? This is Najwa. 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 Can you call an IEP meeting at any time or do you just address concerns when the school calls the meeting? It is certainly your right to call an IEP meeting at any time. Uh, and, and really, I mean, I'm sure if anyone is, 
I just want to keep that communication open. And so there's a difference between an IEP meeting and what might could be discussed in a conference. So you definitely want to um, really bring forth what your concerns are and or what you would like to be changed. An IEP meeting is typically held to address something that is in the IEP and to make some sense of a change um, as opposed to just to express concerns, so to speak. Um, so I would say, again, that communication, um, keeping that communication open, but it is certainly the right of the family to call an IEP meeting at any time. And we should say, we should um, say the difference between a, a conference call and an IEP meeting is that with the conference call, uh, we're with the IEP meeting, you're actually going to have some actionable things that are going to be added to your plan versus a conference call is just kind of a verbal, I think we should do this. Um, and your school doesn't necessarily have to do it and with it, but with an IEP, you definitely, um, have some recourse to say, Hey, these things aren't happening. Um, and they're actually in our plan. Um, making sure there's not, thank you. Um, I want to know if you recommend if if the school is recommending removing a child from um services or dismissing them from a program do what do you think about that considering the fact that we are in a temporary learning situation I would say that that type of decision whatever kind of learning situation we are in needs to be based on data. It's not just um, the kind of decision where you think maybe we might want to, you know, it needs to be based on actual data and parents need to, of course, have access to that and input on it too. Could there be, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, and kind of piggybacking on that is that needs to be based on data and what the child needs, not necessarily what's convenient given the current circumstances. Because student learning isn't always a matter of convenience. And sometimes what the student really needs isn't easy, but we still wanna provide that so that the student can be successful. And so you just have to be very careful when you're making any kind of changes in an environment like this, because you want to make sure that you're not doing it out of convenience rather than what's best in the best interest of the child. And I don't think anybody would ever knowingly say, Oh no, you know, that's inconvenient. We're not going to do that anymore. I don't, I, I don't believe that that would ever happen, but I think sometimes with all the pressures and all of the, the stuff that's going on, sometimes that can sneak its way in that maybe there's an easier way to do things. Yeah. And just also, uh, you know, under these circumstances, making a, a decision to dismiss from a program might not be the greatest idea because eventually we are going back to school. And so if they're now been if they've now been removed from this program, then you kind of got to start all over again if there start to be issues uh, when we stop virtual learning. All right. Shelly, I'm so sorry. I've jumped all over the place. 17. So um, I thought maybe we could transition to uh, safety. Um, I was going to uh, uh, ask you about um, the safety with the COVID-19 um, and special needs population and the staff that being such a kind of um, 
issue that, that they have to have more hands-on. Um, I know with my son, uh, the motivation just to leave and get out of the house was good enough for him to put a face mask on. So we've been training all summer and anticipating going back to school and now he's back to school. But of course, he's not doing it perfectly. But uh, what what can y'all say to that to ensure the, the safety of um, all the with the COVID-19 precautions of your staff and the students? Um, what are y'all implementing? Say for Key School, just um, staying in communication with what's going on with the local and state government, uh, health departments, um, following those CDC recommendations, um, really taking the time to train the personnel on the implementations, and then making sure that those guidelines are being strictly adhered to. Um, communicating with the families along the way, especially on situations like masks, you know, having them have those open conversations with their children and preparing them and practicing them with them um, will make those transitions um, much easier. How are you guys, and you know, I know with some, some students that are, um, that have special needs, they can't really social distance. So how are you keeping both the teacher and the students safe? Um, under those circumstances, or not even just necessarily your school. I know you guys work with and consult with people across the country, I'm sure, um, as far as best practices. So what are best practices for, for doing that under these circumstances? Well, one of the things that we know is that um, not all students can wear masks, right? Um, there are sensory issues that, that can cause that respiratory issue. There are all kinds of reasons why not. So that's where following those guidelines of, you know, using hand sanitizer, washing hands frequently, um, sterilizing uh, anything, any materials that are being used, using sanitation wipes so that you're wiping down surfaces on a frequent basis. Anything that can be contaminated is sanitized and, and cleaned as often as possible with, uh, with solutions that meet the CDC guidelines to, to decontaminate those surfaces. And, um, and then really it goes back to remember way back in the early part of this, we talked about, you know, setting expectations with students and practicing and, and like even those visual schedules, having those visual reminders of, you know, two pumps with the hand sanitizer and on your hands and between your fingers and on the backs and up your arm, you know, all of those pieces so that, that it really just becomes almost second nature that, okay, before I get up to walk, walk, you know, walk out of the room to, to go to PE, I get my wipe and I, I wipe down my table and the teachers are wiping down surfaces and wiping the, the doorknobs and all of those things on a really regular basis so that we do everything we can to keep everybody safe. Um, I'd like to know how, what kind of tips can you get? Because we know that inevitably there's going to be a situation where a child is positive and they have to go into quarantine. So what can you do? What can parents do to make the transition from in-person learning easier when they have to be quarantined back again? Because I know that especially with this population of kids, abrupt changes and lack of stability can be difficult. So what can parents do to make this a little bit easier? I think at Key School, again, it, it just comes back down to routine and structure. And so we, I mean, that's just something we've instilled in our teachers 
and in our parents basically since the spring, since this happened. And so really from September 8th of the first day of school, we let them know exactly what's happening on campus needs to be a super easy transition in the event that they have to move back online. And so um, at Key School, we're using Google, Google Classroom. And so even though they're on campus, we're still, that's still our learning platform. We're still using that. Um, Melly's done an amazing job at transitioning um, the majority of our curriculum to a digital curriculum. And so we, we've just tried to be very forward thinking and proactive in the event that it has to change, that it really is a smooth transition. It's the structures and strategies that students are used to on campus. Shelly. Oh, nope. Entries. Yeah. Oh. Go ahead, Entries. Did you have something? And again, just practicing what it could be at any given time. So practicing those times of what it may be at some point so that when it does happen, it's not necessarily something that was unexpected. Mm, that's good. And yeah, that's a very good point. I hope that the teachers are doing just that in all the school districts saying, hey, you know, at some point we may have to go back to virtual learnings, in which case this is what's going to happen. This is what it's going to be like. This is how long it could be. Those sort of things kind of giving them a heads up. That sounds like a perfect social story that you just almost wrote. I mean, that's mm -hmm. a great uh, use for that, for the social story. Yeah. That, that would be good. Yeah, I think that. Um, now, this question is for just the special needs population. Um, our programs, activities, Special Olympics, uh, summer camps, um, respite care, all of that has just completely been canceled, um, even through to next year. Um, but yet, I've, all my, my typical children have been able to resume a lot of their normal activities, uh, not quite as normal, you know, like back how it was. But they do have some kind of semblance of um, extracurricular activities. How do I explain this um, to our special needs population that um, all of their stuff that they've looked forward to that's very important um, in their lives um, has been canceled, but they see others, you know, continue on? Um, yeah, that's a that's kind of a good question. And I don't you know, uh, if anybody knows anything about Texas Special Olympics, um, that could change. And so, you know, you just really, um, I don't expect necessarily um, that those things will necessarily not continue on throughout the year at some point. But again, again just to your point about, and what if it does, how do you explain that? Um, and that's a very good question in terms of why are some activities continuing and some are not. Um, I don't know, I don't, to be honest with you, I don't necessarily know what that explanation could look like. Um, other than to say, you know, if there is a small community of um, friends that, so it may not necessarily be an organized, a big organized activity, but if there are a small core of friends and families um, that students are attending and want to create some type of once a month, this is what we go and do, um, then there may be a substitution for that larger event that is ne not necessarily deemed to have been safe because it is so big. I mean, Texas Special Olympics is large and there are a lot of individuals in those events at one time. Um, so I think just that constant um, understanding of things are just different for some sports. And right now, Special Olympics just hasn't necessarily or any respite care or any camps just haven't figured out how to make sure that you are safe 
And once they figure out how to make sure that you are safe, then I'm sure that it will return. So I think that that conversation about safety um, and, and an explanation of individuals are working to figure out how to um, continue those events, I think is, is appropriate. That, that's a great answer. I, I love all those ideas about yeah, maybe getting a smaller group and that's something we could definitely bring up to the his special needs class and appreciate that. Thank you. I'd love to know really in our last question, cause we're actually over. What are you guys recommending to parents for social emotional wellness? Because most of us have had our kids nonstop since March. I know I have, and, you know, especially with these kiddos that um, have severe deficits, you know, usually parents have some sort of something that gives them a break, whether that's somebody coming into the house or it's, you know, doing some sort of what it was that called respite care. Did you say, Shelly? Yeah. Summer camp, things like that. Respite care. Um, but how are you encouraging parents to, like you said, Sherry, put on your mask first? <laughs> I would say, you know, kind of what we've alluded to already, but just building in that self-care time in your day, find your support system, whether it be a group of friends or family or even social media groups where you know you're not alone and you can, you know, you can hear the testimonies of what is happening and you can relate and you can reach out to these parents don't be afraid to advocate with your child's school. Don't be afraid that you're going to be that parent, so to speak. Call and ask those questions. Be that advocate because it's it's for your child. I mean, I mean, it's worth it at that point. Um, look for those organizations. You know, I had mentioned earlier um, some of the applications that we use, but you know, Danita, I invite all of your listeners just to visit our website at. at kcld.org, we've got free resources on there for parents, for students with learning differences. And so it's just finding, finding those outlets to where you know you've got a support system. Um, in addition to that, uh, again, reiterating those breaks, build the breaks into each day. And in that evening time, um, what you want that break to look like. I mean, throughout the day, you build in student breaks. We call them brain breaks. Mm -hmm. So that time when they are really allowed to go in um, to their activity of choice, you do the same. And if it's work time for you and you can't necessarily break because you're trying to get some work done while they're breaking, then in the evenings, schedule that time. And so just like you have potentially this visual with every child schedule on there, with that schedule includes your break. And it may be a break on a weekend or it may be a two hour break um, any night of the week that you choose. But it's, I think it's important for for students and children to understand that mom and dad need break yeah. and this is their break time. And so what are we going to and in their own voices and choices we're going to do during our break time um, and then that community that you have um, the community, maybe if, if you have a community of friends or family. Um, there are some um, parent groups that, that get together and, and they kind of provide respite for each other um, for an hour or so during the week. So just really building and just working hard to build um, that community of support and using it. And I got to say, I would just I would add to that. Think about also 
in addition to what you're going to do, think about what you're not going to do. So the laundry might not get done that day. Something may need to be, you know, fall off the list and that's all right. And that's, I share you, that's exactly what I was going to say, but I was also going to say, you know, the other thing is what you said about schedule in that time for you, because too often when it's time for ourselves, we, we will do it when we get to it. And we have the whole laundry, laundry list of things that have to be done first, but sometimes we need to put ourselves high on that list instead of at the bottom of the list, because, um, I know I'm guilty of I'll I schedule myself at the very bottom after everything else is taken care of. And eventually I've got to put that mask on. Right. Yeah. So and being and making it okay to not be okay. Yeah. That's okay. It's okay to go sit in your closet and cry for five minutes. The important thing is to get back up and then go back at it. But it's okay to occasionally not be okay. And I would say have a cutoff time. That's probably something that I struggled with the most in the spring when I was working from home is because you're home, it's really hard to kind of distinguish between schoolwork and work and then personal life. And so, you know, if you're home with your kids and, and, and they're doing an asynchronous or a synchronous model learning virtually, make that cutoff time and don't veer from that. You know, you say at four o'clock every day, school's over you know, that that's going to build in that time for yourself and for your family. That's so important. I love all these. And let me just say under normal, um, under normal circumstances, I would not give this advice, but I did this a couple times last week. I gave up. It was about two o'clock and I was like, they only have one more hour and I don't care if they learn for this next hour. Good luck. <laughs> I just needed to make it stop. I got myself a cup of tea. I got in bed and I neck fixed and chilled. <laughs> and guess what? They're still okay. <laughs> I wouldn't make that a normal plan. Like, don't do that all the time. But if you need to take a break and be like, you know what? We're going to go to the park instead or something like that. It will be okay. Like, what will not be okay is scarring your children <laughs> You've gone ballistic. <laughs> like that's harder to come back from than, you know, missing maybe an hour of school. Any other yeah, last things to where we, we feel like we're with our children all day. Well, oh my gosh, they're with us all day long. So, so that's, that's huge for them too. So that time that you need to rest, I don't know that they, that's a bad thing. Mm -hmm. Yep. Well guys, this was amazing. Uh, this was actually some really good therapy for me. <laughs> I appreciate all y'all's input. Shelly, any last words or questions or thoughts or anything? No, I just, uh, thank you guys. This was, this was great. I, I learned so much, so much and learned to let myself off the hook. And, and I, I just really appreciate all the great advice and wisdom y'all have shared. Thank you. All right. Well, we are way out of time. So uh, thank you guys so much for joining us. And um, Noggin Educational Foundation is the premier sponsor of School Days. So we always want to let you guys know what's going on with Noggin. And at Noggin, our mission is to help close the achievement gap for economically disadvantaged children by improving educational opportunities for students, supporting families and encouraging excellence and innovation in the classroom. School Days is part of our commitment to support families by providing access to experts who offer information and resources regarding all topics that impact 
education. So if you love this program, please consider donating to Noggin. Your gift will be tax deductible. Head to our website, schooldaysshow.com to give today. And as always, head to our website, schooldayshow.com for more information about all that we're doing and all the resources that we mentioned here at School Days. And remember, you don't ever have to miss a show. Find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, and pretty much anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Noggin Foundation. That's N-O-G-G-I-N. And last but certainly not least, David and I always like to end the show by saying that we are parenting by grace. We depend on God to give us the wisdom and strength that we need to help our kids grow into flourishing adults. So if you'd like to know more about that, please feel free to reach out to me at info at schooldayshow.com. Have a great week and say, stay safe. School Days is sponsored by Noggin Educational Foundation. At Noggin, we provide free educational resources to students from low-income families and support to their parents like the preceding broadcast. School Days is made possible by the generosity of listeners just like you. Please consider donating to Noggin at Noggin, N-O-G-G-I-N, foundation.org.